This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. For the first time in U.S. history, a committed school choice supporter is U.S. Secretary of Education. Before Secretary Betsy DeVos was appointed to this position, she had served as chair of the board of the American Federation for Children, the nation's largest school choice advocacy organization. As DeVos has moved on to take on larger responsibilities, John Schilling has been appointed president of the American Federation of Children to carry out tasks that are ever more exciting than ever. The Federation works in selected states across the country to elect people who support school choice and to lobby for legislation that will expand choice. I am delighted to have John Schilling with me today on the Education Exchange. Uh, thanks for joining us, John. Thank you for having me. John, uh, the Trump administration has just released its budget for the coming fiscal year, and uh, $1.1 billion has been allocated for programs that include expansions of existing private school choice programs for low-income and at-risk students. Um, so did Betsy DeVos win the battle for resources within the Trump administration, or is the school choice movement just getting a few crumbs here? <laughs> well, uh, she won the battle to make sure that there were some school choice funding included in the president's budget, which we are uh, very excited about. Uh, as you probably know, in the president's first budget submission last year, they also included uh, some funds for school choice. Uh, which the Congress properly ignored uh, when they when they put together the uh, the, the appropriation for FY18. So we are hopeful that um, what is in the president's budget this year, which as you noted is 1.1 billion for school choice, uh, will be taken more seriously uh, in the Congress. Uh, we well, think that would you know, be very very helpful. Yeah, last year you know it was really it was it the Obama budget or the Trump budget because all those budgets take a long time to prepare. A lot of it had been done by the previous administration. And all the Trump administration could do was a little adjustments here and there. And, you know, it really is hard to do anything right away in the, in the very first month of your administration. But now they've had a year to do it. So have they built up a better coalition in Congress? Can you be more optimistic that the Republicans will be uh, supportive of school choice? Well, uh, first, I think they, they had, a, uh, as you know, they had a lot more time to put their own stamp on this budget. So I, I feel better about the way that this budget was put together, particularly for some of the things that they've outlined uh, uh, that they would have in mind under this $1.1 billion. So um, the idea that they would um, try to provide some grants to states with existing private choice programs, that's a good thing. One of our ongoing challenges uh, in the school choice movement is while we've made a lot of success around the country uh, in enacting private choice programs, these scholarship amounts are very low. So the idea that there could be some federal funds to augment these scholarships we think would be very helpful. Um, in terms of uh, whether the coalition in Congress is stronger, Look, I've always believed that um, we've got a pretty good school choice majority in Congress. Um, it's a question of um, really making this a priority for them. Uh, frankly, we're not going to get much help on the Democratic side of the aisle, uh, so this is something that will have to be driven by Republicans. Uh, we're fortunate that both the Speaker and Senator McConnell, I believe, are both strong school choice supporters. Uh, but it will be up to the administration uh, and those of us on the outside that believe in this to go and make the case to these guys that they should include this funding. 
Well, what's the situation with the District of Columbia? That's always been the one thing that Congress has been able to do in terms of uh, uh, giving support for, for school vouchers. Is that, is that a, a situation? Uh, I, I didn't see any reference to that in, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the legislation, legislative proposals. Well, they have continued to fund the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program, uh, which was enacted uh, back in 2004. Uh, that program is doing very, very well. Um, the program also, uh, for the first time in, in, in about eight years, uh, enjoys the support of the administration, uh, which, is, which is very helpful. Um, one of the things that the, uh, that the Obama administration did was uh, they withheld uh, about $20 million dollars from the uh, from the Opportunity Scholarship Program, these were funds that had been uh, previously appropriated over the course of several years. Uh, the intent of Congress was that those funds were to go for new scholarships. Uh, when the Trump administration took over, uh, as a result of a uh, continuing resolution that was passed uh, after the election, uh, the government was required to release those funds. And the Trump administration, Secretary DeVos, did a great job in making sure that those funds got out. Uh, and were used uh, for the purpose that Congress intended, which was to offer new scholarships. As a result, uh, we, the, the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program uh, has added around uh, about 500 additional students for this school year, and we expect them to add, uh, you know, three, 400 more students next year just using that, uh, those previously appropriated funds that were released. We do believe that uh, the Congress is going to need to increase the appropriation for the DCOSP uh, because as you add kids to the program, the annual appropriation needs to go up. So while the president's budget uh, includes the annual appropriation for the OSP, uh, we're going to have to do some work to try to get that appropriation increased. So is that um, uh, what's the total enrollment now for the district program? So last year, uh, I believe the enrollment was about 1150. I think they will be over 1700 for the 1718 school year. So this will be a fairly substantial uh, increase. Now there was a an evaluation of the program that came in uh, quite negative. What's your reading of that uh, first year evaluation of this new revised uh, voucher program? The old voucher program in in Washington, D.C., got a, a positive evaluation in the end. Uh, kids were more likely to graduate from high school. What's the, what's the story on this, this new one? Uh, just, just what you noted. It, it is a first-year study, and we are always... Uh and I, and I, and I want to I want to use my words carefully, considering who I'm talking to here. Uh, we are always very skeptical about first-year studies. These are snapshots. Uh, we are much more interested uh, in looking at the progress of students over time. We are much more interested in looking at the outcomes for students over time. So, for the, as far as the DCOSP goes, we really look to the first study uh, as something that is was really much more informative about the success of the program. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how these subsequent studies turn out. But, uh, you know, we, we are always very skeptical of these first-year studies, uh, and we know it to everybody, particularly those in the media, that these, these are snapshots, and you don't want to rely on snapshots uh, because they are often not accurate predictors of uh, academic growth over time. Well, I, I can remember the very first voucher study I did. Uh, we got uh, a pretty modest uh, 
results the first year, uh, you couldn't find statistically significant differences between the kids who got them and not. But in, over the longer term, uh, we, we saw some uh, successes, especially for minority students. So, but let's turn to the state and local level because that's really where the action is in American education in general and also where the action is in school choice. Where do you see school choice breaking out in 2018? Well, so we've had uh, tremendous success, uh, particularly since 2010. So the American Federation for Children and our allies, uh, we have doubled the number of states with private choice programs, doubled the number of programs, doubled the number of students enrolled, and doubled the amount of public money that is supporting these students in private schools. So it's been a great run. Um, I'm confident that the momentum will continue. Uh, however, we, we are always realistic in election years, uh, because in election years, we typically do not see the same level of legislative activity. Uh, policymakers uh, tend to be uh, a little less bold in election years. Uh, they tend to want to get out of the legislative sessions pretty quickly uh, so they can focus on uh, election matters. Uh, but I do feel like there are some prospects around the country. Uh, there's. Uh, we feel like there are good prospects in Missouri, uh, good prospects in Kentucky. Uh, there's been some talk about prospects in, in New Hampshire and West Virginia. Uh, we also feel like there are possibilities uh, to strengthen some existing programs around the country. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that we're always interested in is, um, you know, taking a look at what's out there uh, and trying to figure out ways where we can strengthen these programs. Uh, not only to accelerate enrollment, uh, you know, but to make them more sustainable so that they can withstand the push and pull of election cycles. So, I, you know, I would say that there, there are some possibilities for uh, growth and expansion this year, uh, but I would really look to 2019, uh, you know, to see much more robust legislative activity. Well, one of the things that you're doing in 2018 is you're uh, helping uh, the program on education policy and governance at Harvard uh, uh, host a conference on the uh, long-term effects of school choice. If I can have a little infomercial here, uh, people are certainly welcome to uh, come to the conference. Uh, we're hoping to bring a lot of people together for this occasion. Um, so, John, what is, what is your hope for what will come out of this conference on the long-term effects of school choice? So uh, I, we have uh, we've been a little frustrated, frankly, by the coverage of uh, studies uh, in private choice over the years. Um, and you know, I, I think those of us in the private choice movement, you know, over the years, we've gotten ourselves a little bit bogged down in the in the test score. Uh, you know, with test scores, focusing entirely on test scores, as opposed to trying to take a look at the longer-term uh, uh, outcomes for kids who are participating in these programs. We know that there's been some good work out there. Uh, you've done some of it. Um, there are others who have done some great work out there. And we, we are really looking forward to this because we really do want to shine a spotlight on outcomes in private choice programs. Uh, and to be able to do this with you all up at Harvard, we think this is going to be uh, real, really outstanding. Uh, we're hopeful that it will, it will generate a lot of attention. Uh, and we're hopeful that uh, um, reasonable people in the media will begin taking a fresh look at some of these studies and saying, okay, look, 
perhaps we shouldn't spend so much time focusing on these one-year snapshots. Perhaps we shouldn't spend so much time simply focusing on test scores. And perhaps we really do need to take a look uh, at outcomes in these programs. Because if, if these programs, uh, as we believe they are, if they are successful in helping more kids graduate from high school, having more kids go on to college, getting kids better prepared for uh, the workforce or the military, uh, we believe that that ultimately accrues to the benefits of students. They're going to become, uh, they're, they're going to have better jobs, they're going to earn more money, uh, and that is also going to generate uh, greater GDP for America. So we think these are good things, and we really do want to shine a spotlight on this, that having this option for families uh, is really, really important uh, to the future of these kids. Uh, John, uh, let me ask you a question about tax credits and, and school vouchers. Some of our polling at Education Next indicates that the public is more supportive of tax credits than they are for vouchers. So uh, it, are you thinking about concentrating your efforts particularly on uh, promoting the tax credit idea that, that seems to have a certain degree of popularity? It is more popular. Um, look, one of the things that we've learned in polling over the years, um, vouchers is not a very popular word. <laughs> you know, after 30 years of, uh, of opponents of parental choice in education uh, saying that vouchers drain money from sub public schools, uh, you know, people, a lot of people simply, uh, you know, default to a negative position when the word voucher is used. Um, you know, our view is there are a lot of programs out there that are voucher programs. There are a lot of programs out there that are tax credit scholarship programs. Uh, there are a growing number of states. Uh, that are trying to advance education savings account legislation. Uh, six states now have education savings accounts. Um, and, and I'll just tell you, uh, you know, a little sort of or a, a private, choose, private choice advocate secret here. One of the things that we do in states around the country is uh, we work with our friends at the Institute for Justice, uh, and we look at the state constitutions in all of these states. And sometimes uh, what, what the state constitution says is ultimately what type of school choice policy is, adv uh, uh, is advanced. A lot of states you can't do vouchers. You have to do tax credit scholarships or education savings accounts. Um, we think all the programs are good. Um, there's no question uh, that uh, the tax credit scholarship uh, is definitely very, very popular. Uh, not only at the state level, our polling has shown that it's actually popular when you when you pose the question to likely voters about whether they would support a federal tax credit scholarship. That too is very popular. About two thirds of likely voters say they would support that. Um, so we're going to, you know, depending on uh, you know the landscape in each state, depending on what the state constitution says in each state, will often determine what we'll push. Um, but look. Uh, not only tax credit scholarships, but education savings accounts are also growing in popularity. It's a much more flexible way to do this. We're very excited about education savings accounts. Uh, last year, uh, I believe there were 36 states that introduced private choice bills. Uh, 18 of them were education savings accounts. So, you know, we'll keep our eye on those. So, uh, over the past few years, we've seen a decline in private school enrollments despite all the efforts of the American Federation for Children. Um, why do you think that's been going down, and do you think uh, charters have anything to do with that? Uh, there's no question that charters have something to do with it. <laughs> um, you know, with the growth of charter schools, uh, there's no question that, is a, that that has affected uh, private school enrollment. Uh, no question about it. Um, you know, we uh, w when you look at um, 
the states around the country that have uh, both charters and, and private schools, uh, look, if you are a low-income family um, and the uh, traditional public school down the street is not working for you and you do not have the means to go to a private school, you, you are going to try to go to a charter school, and that's wonderful. Our view is, uh, you know, we, we believe that every family, uh, regardless of zip code or income, uh, should be able to choose the, uh, the best educational environment for their child. For a lot of families, this is going to be a private school, faith-based school. For a lot of families, it could be a charter school. But uh, one of the things I noted uh, at the beginning, uh, which is why AFC supports federal action, is because we've got to figure out a way to increase scholarship amounts in private choice programs. Uh, because they really do need to compete. Um, you know, charters struggle for funds, particularly facilities funds, and charters around the country are often getting less per pupil than traditional public schools. But when you start looking at publicly funded private choice programs, they're getting significantly less money than, e than even charters. So you're so really calling for a level playing field. Let the public, let the parents have a choice between their district school, charter school, or a private school, and if they are of Modest means they should have the resources to be able to choose among those alternatives. Absolutely. Money, money should follow the child. We should be agnostic about sector. What matters is, is, is the parent being able to choose the best educational environment for their child and the child getting a quality education. It shouldn't matter what sector it is. Well, thank you, John. I've been speaking with John Schilling, chair of the American Federation for Children, the largest school choice advocacy group in the United States. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Uh, thank you, John, for uh, joining me today on the Education Exchange. Paul, thanks so much for having me. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.